This is the Sunday Swim on 720 WGN. Once again, here's Rick Pearson of the Chicago Tribune. Welcome back to the second hour of your Sunday Spin at our new time. We're now 5 to 7 on Sunday evenings. And for the introductory uh, evening launch of the show, I'm very happy to have as my guest John Cullerton, the Democratic President of the Illinois State Senate. Also, uh, adding a parenthetical, retiring President of the Illinois Senate, retiring from the Illinois Legislature after more than 40 years. Yes. Mr. President, thank you so much thank for joining you. me this evening. Happy to be here at your new time. And uh, I'm sorry the the view isn't as bright as it is when it used to be on Sunday well, if mornings. The, but if the uh, folks uh, who are listening to this radio show could be here, they could see a spectacular view of, uh, it looks like there's a... Ferris wheel. Yes, yeah. there's a Ferris wheel there that's at right. the end of Navy Pier. The water, the waves did not catch that yesterday. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's like, true. Along with everything else that they were yeah. catching. Well, I, I wanted to have you on, and, and obviously I, I talked to you earlier and, and did a story in the Chicago Tribune about uh, your time in, in the legislature. And uh, I kind of wanted to start out with one of the things that I found most interesting, and that was... When I talk to you about what's the biggest change mm-hmm. in politics, and you you went on to say that it was uh, kind of a uh, going to a direct democracy because of social media rather than a representative democracy. Yeah, I, that actually that expression um, was um, I heard somebody say that there, it was a it was a speaker at an event I was at and. Uh, there was a, uh, it was a bunch of Senate presidents, and uh, the Senate president from Rhode Island said, "How do we better communicate with our, with our uh, constituents?" And the speaker said, "You know, I want to hire you to go to your state capitol and and learn and make decisions. I'm working here, you know, and do 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 the right thing. And if you don't do the right thing, uh, I'll have an opportunity to vote you out of office in a couple of years." And so he's the one that said, "So I want to have a representative democracy. I want to I want you to represent me." You know, but it, what's the problem is, and this was again, this guy wasn't even a politician. He was just making this observation that it's more of a now a direct democracy. So in the in the real world in Springfield, if I'm in a committee room and I'm there's a bill that's up, and I I think I I know what's in the bill, and but we haven't had the testimony yet, and I might say to one of my colleagues, hey, I I really like you to vote for this bill. You you you've in this day and age, you have people saying, well, I can't vote for this bill. Well, why not? Well, I already got 500 emails. Uh, I can't vote for this bill. Well, wait a minute. Who, where did they come from? What, what did they say? What right. do they know? What, listen to the testimony, you know? So, well, and that's the other thing, too, is, yeah. is you imparted so much importance on testimony in committee hearings as, 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 as a critical part of the process that basically you're saying that doesn't matter anymore well it it still matters but there's it's less than that's the big that's the big difference you know and it, it's coupled rich with the with the change in the in the in the lack of local reporting in what we do in springfield too so that's that's the bureau chiefs you know we used to have 50 in 1979 now there's about three or four and you don't have that local uh reporting you do have and it was and frankly it was very local i mean this is part of the you know what we've seen in the in the newspaper it, industry exactly a major uh, uh, problem throughout the whole United States. I mean, States, you had right? you know Al- the Alton paper had a there was a guy from Kankakee who lived in Springfield right. who reported on what we did the for day the Kankakee we, Daily Journal, and then he would then interview the guy from Kankakee and say, "What do you think about this bill?" 
And the local, I remember the people who were interviewed on television from media markets downstate. Right. They were like rock stars, you know, Rockford <laughs> and Champagne. And I'm sitting next to them. They didn't seem like they were that special, you know. But their name recognition in their hometown was 95 because everybody knew because there was local coverage about what we did. I mean, there's in and, Springfield, and, and we and we should say too, outside of Chicago, you know, being a state representative or state senator that's a big 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 deal deal. sure in chicago um because of the way the media works here the aldermen are the ones who have been the big deal and people don't know who their state reps are um even being the senate president uh, i suspect that i'm I'm not as well known uh, maybe a little bit more than most state senators but not as well as some of the aldermen you know and that and that's also the the history of the the mayors and the governors in in Illinois and in, in the city of Chicago. So is this direct democracy a failure? Well, it's just the good and bad. I mean, people are in a way informed. I mean, about, you want people to take part in their government. Yeah, right. And they and they But you want them to do it in a knowledgeable exactly, way. Exactly. Exactly. So it would be better if we had more informed folks about what we actually do in Springfield and what the issues are before they they, you know, uh, send the email. Direct, send send the email and direct you to demand that you vote, or or, and, si- or sign a template from a special or, uh, from some special group. Another or another group that might say, you know what, should we call Cullerton and have a meeting to discuss our issue, or should we just go right ahead and picket him? Let's do the picketing because that's you know it's you, well, then we'll be on TV. So right. that's the other little problem we have as I'm as I uh, as I leave. When well, one why are you leaving? Well, um, okay, so I got married in 1979 to Pam Cullerton, and uh, I also got sworn in in 1979. So she yep. and our marriage and my political career has been has been uh, has coincided. And about four years ago, I got really concerned because my wife, out of the blue, announced that she was for term limits, <laughs> and I said. Are you referring to the marriage or to the political career? And she said, well, let's start with the political career, and, we'll, and we'll see how it works out. So we, we had a deal, and I was supposed to leave when I was um, uh, 40 years in and 70 years old. That was the deal. And that was a, a big uh, successful. When that when that happened, that was when we defeated Governor Rauner. I picked up five seats in the General Assembly. We added, now or, having or picked a, up four seats and added five women. And 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 we'd run out of money because we spent all the money to win those races. So I said I negotiated for an extra year, and so I resigned as promised on the last day of that extra year. We had that great year with uh, Governor Pritzker, uh, working with the new governor, um, passed historic pieces of legislation. And it was uh, it was perfect timing. Uh, we're going to have to take a quick break here in just a minute. But when we come back, I want to talk to you about what you feel are some of the most significant achievements that you've seen Republican and Democrats involved here as well uh, in, in those four decades here in Illinois. You're listening to The Sunday Spin on WGN. Welcome back to your Sunday Spin. I'm Rick Pearson of the Chicago Tribune, joined here in the WGN Skyline studio by John Cullerton, who is the retiring Illinois Senate president, the Democrat from the northwest side of Chicago. Before we went on the air, and I'd mentioned I'd I'd written a piece about uh, Senator Cullerton's tenure, and uh, uh, I got some comments from people that have a great deal of respect for you. I also got a lot of comments 
from people who said 40 years is too long. And this is the problem with the Democrats that control Illinois government. And that's how we're in this, this mess we're in. For some of those, I did point out that for a good number of years during your tenure, uh, those were Republican governors. Oh, yeah. For, well, tw- I think 28 years. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> the first 28 years. Yes. Were Republican governors. So that, you know, this automatic kind of attribute things to one side. Uh, no, we, we had a great years with Thompson, Edgar, Ryan uh, being the governors. Uh, we had Democrats that controlled the General Assembly. It forced bipartisanship. Uh, there was, I think there were two years where uh, Madigan wasn't the speaker or Lee Daniels was the speaker. It was in the mid-90s. And, and that had a kind of a big shift to the right a little bit, or not the right, maybe just more conservative things, and then that came back. Well, that was the year of Chicago school reform. That's true. Um, the, the, um, and then I served 10 years in the minority under Pate Phillip in the Senate. So you learn when you're in the minority, and, and, and quite frankly, as a result of that, I think that's why I wanted to you know, be a little more bipartisan than Pate was. And uh, that worked out, which wasn't hard, by the way. But <laughs> That's um, why I laughed. Yeah, if anybody, I know. If anybody uh, knows Pate yeah, Phillip, you'll, yeah. you'll, you'd Pate, be Pate laughing, too. County. I, had grown up, I grew up out there, and he was, I was one of those liberal Democrats. And, but, you know, I worked with them um, uh, right now with Bill Brady, before that with Christine Madonio, um, and we got, Christine Madonio and I got elected the same day. Uh, we had to start working immediately together, uh, first, unfortunately, on an impeachment trial, but then we got into the substance of a capital bill, which hadn't passed in 10 years. That was, you know, 10 years ago. So um, I, I think that, uh, and the other thing that people should know is that 41 years is a lot of to- long time, but the average senator is there eight years. Right now, the current average senator is there for eight years, which is, uh, which is a mixture of people who've been there, who've got some institutional memory, and people who are brand new with fresh ideas. And that's why term limits don't work. They sound good, they're, po- they're popular, but they don't work. We actually have the effect of what people want from term limits, a mixture of, of experience and new ideas right now. Well, and, and before people say, well, you're saying that because you're a Democrat or whatever, I would like to point out John Shimkus, yeah. the uh, dean of the Republican right. Uh, members in the Illinois uh, congressional delegation who signed the, uh, the contract for America back the Newt Gingrich, yeah. which included term limits. Yeah. And he is now retiring, I believe, after 20 years yeah. in, right. in Congress. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I don't want to get into a debate about term limits or those kinds of things, but, you know, certainly we've seen during this period, and you, and you talked about how with Republican governors or with one chamber or the other, or Mm -hmm. if not both in control of the opposite party, that it fosters bipartisanship. And to me, uh, I think it also fostered a more, a moderation in in politics. I agree. Rather than the far right and the far left. And, And that's why I think Illinois for a long time was that kind of bellwether state. Right. Uh, but what, what made it change? Well, um, as, uh, politically, as I've more recently, of course, what's surprising is that, I, as I said, I grew up in DuPage County in Winfield, Illinois. My mom, of course, was the Democratic election judge. She, the first Democrat to apply for a ballot would be about one thirty in the afternoon right there in, uh, in Winfield. <laughs> if they had them. Yeah, and now they have Winfield has a Democratic state senator. So there was a dramatic shift in uh, 
the the uh, basically because of Trump in the suburban uh, suburban America, but in, that played out in DuPage County with a bunch but of But before Trump, there. Illinois was struggling, trended Democrat. Yeah. It, well, what's happened is that the the um, the downstate has become more conservative, um, more more Republican. And, and less population. And, less, and people are leaving from not just Illinois. They're leaving from rural areas right. uh, all, all over America. But I mean, but less population in rural Illinois. That's it, true, and that's that true. affects their legislative representation. It does, and we, as we've done these redistrictings every ten years, there's fewer and fewer representatives from downstate um, because of because of those shifts. So, but but is Illinois a more progressive state? Um, well, I guess using that term uh, today, I guess I guess you'd say it is. It's moved to the left. There's certainly no question about it. I mean, we used to have. Well, I mean, I mean, part of the reason I ask is obviously we're, you know, we're seeing once again, as we kind of saw in 2016, this debate being played out on the on a national stage about where goes the Democratic Party. Yeah. And, uh, you know, certainly, I mean, to me, I was shocked in 2016 that the Hillary Clinton Bernie Sanders race it was, was a tie. Yeah, basically a tie. A tie. Yeah. Uh, I see that in the primary, in the polling for Iowa, which is coming up pretty soon. Right. You see the, the Warren, uh, Warren Sanders, uh, Warren Sanders uh, totals are almost equal to Biden and Buttigieg's polls. So we do have kind of a, the same kind of split between, you know, the more progressives and the more um, centrist. Uh, and we'll see how it plays out. But you probably have that, too, within your caucus. We do. We do. We've got some of the younger folks who are a little more in that category. Certainly the city council has folks that openly right. uh, say they're uh, socialist, right? Which I would say is pretty far to the left. <laughs> I, I, I think so. <laughs> yeah. There, there were days when I couldn't ever imagine a candidate <laughs> to for, use that uh, word. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, that's right. Are you accusing me of being a socialist? <laughs> right, right, right. That's, uh, Edward, subject for well, an Edward thought, Murrow uh, that. documentary. So, so when I talk to folks about whether, uh, what, 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 where, what, where I am on that spectrum, I think that people care about um, defeating Donald Trump, and people do not focus on the Electoral College. And the Electoral College is what it's all about, and national polls don't mean anything. Right. They don't care how much Bernie Sanders wins California by. You know, if it's not California, it's Wisconsin. It really is Wisconsin. So, so when you say, well, who, who do you support? Well, I support anybody that can get the, the folks who had voted for Obama uh, in, and then switch to Trump. to Trump. And if those are probably not people who are uh, to the far left. So that argues for somebody to, who is a centrist to be the nominee. Yeah, well, I mean, almost kind of the, the Reagan Democrat in, in exactly. some aspects. Now, now the, the progressives say, no, the, the problem is that folks didn't vote and we'll get energy and we'll get folks to vote who otherwise wouldn't vote. Now, to me, the response is, well, you know, um, voting against Donald Trump, is, if you're a Democrat, is a pretty high motivation. You'd think that that would get people to come out. So, uh, it's. I mean, how did you run a caucus that's that diverse? You know, I love <clears throat> I love our caucus, and we are diverse. We have um, we have um, an Hispanic caucus up to uh, five. We'll probably add another one this year. We have Black caucus. There were ten members of Black caucus. We have a Downstate caucus, a Suburban caucus. I'm really proud of the fact we have now. Um, 18 women out of 40. Uh, my replacement hopefully will be a woman, and therefore there'll be 19 out of 40, which is pretty pretty cool. Uh, and that's you say hopefully. Are you making well, an endorsement Sarah, here? Sarah Feigenholz 
your replacement would be my replacement in, in, the, in, in, in the, the district, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the Senate president thing I'm staying out of. So, um, yeah, I it, I love the diversity. You know, I really do, and I work real hard. It's very personal. The people who are running for Senate president now are finding out that um, it's a really interesting, unique <laughs> experience because it's extremely humbling. Uh, you're a peer with them. You're professional politicians. You are professional voters, and you ask somebody to vote for you, and you know they say, well. Sure, I'm honored that you asked me, but is it just the two of us, or how many votes do we have here? You know, because you want to be on the winning side, and so that. Well, and I like, and I, and I like the fact uh, when we talked about this in the story was yeah. about the the professional voter that these are people, yeah. you know, who are voting on significant issues on a daily it basis. Is, so this is not times, right? Yeah. So right. this is not right. like a casual. Right. And it's know. the most important thing. The job, by the way, I should tell you that because of rules imposed on us by Pate Phillip. The job has a lot of power. So the speaker and I have enormous, the rules give us enormous power. Everybody in Springfield works for us, for example. We appoint the the, the committees that decide where the bills are going to be filed and all that. We just are given that. But if you abuse it, you'll be in trouble. So, But the point is the power is there. And, and my style has always been to try to be, uh, when I got elected, you know, you need 30 votes to get elected. But my strategy was to have a, a, a strategy of, even the people that voted against me to keep them happy and keep them part of the caucus. And that played out this year. We, or it's last year now, 2019, we, we kept everybody together in some major issues that were difficult to pass, but we were together. Well, and also with the Senate, it's not like the House with two-year terms. You have people that also have... The four-year terms helps in some cases. Well, well I mean, but yeah. there's a longevity factor exactly. that's kind of that exactly. exists. And your next election is right around the corners in some cases as well. That helps. Uh and you moved from the House to the Senate. I was in the House for 12 years. Uh, two of those years were in the minority, when George Ryan was the uh, the Speaker, as a matter of fact. And then uh, 10 years in the—I was two years with Phil Rock as the President of the Senate. Um, 10 years is with Pate, and then Emil. Emil Jones was my predecessor. Well, I think I told you my, when I was asking you how you run your caucus, my, one of my great lines that I heard from Phil Rock was when he had some— uh, progressives that yeah. were that uh, every morning when he got up to shave he'd look into the bathroom mirror take his razor and go do i shave or do i just slit my throat <laughs> i know he wrote a great book too uh, the title of which was nobody ever calls just to say hello <laughs> correct <laughs> yeah. correct but uh, uh certainly i mean there is a, a guy who goes down in history is uh, one of the great uh, leaders in Illinois. I absolutely. T- I totally agree with you. I, I was honored to serve with him for two years. We're speaking with John Cullerton, who is the retiring Illinois Senate president, Democrat from Chicago. I'm Rick Pearson. This is the Sunday Spin. It's always fun to give away radio station merchandise. Call in and win Blackhawks tickets Monday at 739. Bob mornings WGN. America's oil and gas moves through 2.4 million miles of underground pipelines safely. But one of those pipelines were gone. We would need 90,000 more tanker trucks or 27,000 more rail cars every single day just to meet our energy needs. So, do you want this, this, or this? We move America's energy. We are Energy Transfer. 
This is a Jackson Hewitt tax service announcement. Don't want to wait weeks for your tax refund? That's a reason to go to Jackson Hewitt Tax Service. File your taxes with Jackson Hewitt and ask a tax pro how you could get up to $3,200 fast with a no-fee refund advance. It's a 0% APR loan from Medibank that's available before your tax refund is, so you could get money when you need it. Go to jacksonhewitt.com to learn about availability, terms, and how you could get money on a prepaid card fast, like today fast. Go to Jackson Hewitt today. That's Jackson Hewitt. New year, new budgets. Every small business has unique needs. When you partner with a Dell Small Business Technology Advisor, you get real-time, tailored advice. They'll even give you a free audit on your servers and storage devices to develop a custom solution to help improve your company's productivity. Plus, right now, upgrade to Windows 10 and get up to 45% off select business computers with Intel Core processors. To speak with a Dell advisor, call 877-BY-DELL. That's 877-BY-DELL. Resolution is to drink more Papa Nicholas coffee and maybe do some squats. <laughs> Shop at PapaNicholas.com or at your favorite local grocer. When you put money in the Salvation Army's red kettles, you're giving someone in addiction recovery the gift of hope, or a senior a hot meal, or a family a warm place to sleep. You're providing love and compassion every day. People turn to the Salvation Army to help keep the heat on, put food on the table, and keep their children safe from harm. Every day, you make it possible for the Salvation Army to give that help. Every year, the Army serves more than a million people throughout Chicagoland. They provide housing, cure hunger, combat addiction, and so much more. Thank you to the WGN listeners who donated to our online kettle. And a special thanks to these fine Chicago-area businesses. Papa Nicholas Coffee, MyPillow.com, Permaseal, Lindemann Chimney, Next Door and Window, The Joint Relief Institute, and Team Hochberg at 56david.com. Give hope to a neighbor in need. The mission continues now. Click the Donate button at salarmychicago.org slash WGN Radio. It's 6.32 on this Sunday evening. Time for a spin through the headlines. Up to you, Mr. Jennings. All right. Thank you very much, Rick. The One of the Democratic candidates wants to be the new clerk of the Cook County Court, Jacob Meisner, says one of the things that the system needs, the office needs badly, is to get it into the 21st century, at least when it comes to record keeping, and say goodbye to, well, carbon copies. Secretary of Defense Mark Esper says he has seen no hard evidence that four American embassies have been under possible threat when President Trump authorized the targeting of Iran's top military commander. Lots of protests, anger, and outrage on the streets of Tehran today. That is because citizens are unhappy about the government initially not admitting the truth that it was their military that shot down that Ukraine. Uh, the Ukrainian Airlines passenger plane. In another embarrassing sign, Iran's only female Olympic medalist said online that she's defecting to move to the Netherlands. Closer to home, authorities say they use social media to help identify 43-year-old Demon Reed. They arrested him and charged him as a suspect in the theft of $50,000 worth of diamonds in the north suburbs. He is currently behind bars. Your forecast, freezing drizzle, 
expected through the late and overnight hours into tomorrow morning. Low in the low 30s and for Monday, cloudy a chance of freezing drizzle for the morning commute and the daytime high around 40 degrees. Right now, it is 30 degrees at O'Hare, 32 Midway, same in Gary. Lake water temp at 35, it is 31 at the lakefront, Rick. Now back to the Tribune's Rick Pearson. It's the Sunday Spin on 720 WGN. Thanks, Dave, for the news update. Much appreciated. Welcome back to your Sunday Spin. I'm Rick Pearson of the Chicago Tribune. Joining me here in the WGN Skyline studio, retiring Illinois Senate President John Cullerton. And we're talking about his 40-year tenure in the Illinois General Assembly. Uh, leadership, what the future of the Democratic Party is. Um, let's talk uh, accomplishments. Uh, and and uh, again, during that time span, I mean, certainly last year, a lot got done. And part of that, I think, was a part of a repressed legislature after after four years right, right. under Bruce Rauner. But, I mean, also, I think it very much pointed to this more progressive Illinois that we're living in right now. That's true. This last year was. Well, over my 41 years, though, I, I've, I've when I first got elected, I was one of those lakefront liberals. So I, I was viewed as the progressive one back then. And in terms of what I got involved with early on, um, I had been a public defender. I knew a little bit about criminal law. But as I said, my wife and I got married in 79, and we had our first baby in 81. And back then, there was only one state in the nation that had a child passenger safety law and we i vividly remember driving home with that first child with pam holding her in the front seat and it was only a few months after that my wife actually learned about car seats started a a loaner program out of our house and then i was sponsoring the bill to require people to have their kids in car seats and we became the second state to pass it and that led to me sponsoring the seatbelt law and the interesting thing about that was at the time we passed the seatbelt law only 15% of people wearing a seatbelt. So from a political point of view, you're standing up on the floor of the House and you're trying to force 85% of your constituents to do something they're not doing. It's not that easy to do. And I think that was even before uh, the federal funding component. In fact, that came, Elizabeth Dole was the Secretary of Transportation, that came after that. And, you know, obviously eventually that would have passed, but we, we passed it early and we saw the fatality rate, you know, drop. It also was a lesson on how you start off with half a loaf. Start off with a bill, get get it on the books, only applies to, you know, it's a secondary offense and only applies to you and your own car and that sort of thing, and then you keep on expanding it. In fact, I did expand that uh, when Obama came along. He worked, I helped him with his racial profiling bill. He helped me with my seatbelt law that made it um, a primary offense. So um, that was something I'm very proud of. I, I later on got involved in. Uh, graduated driver's licenses for kids under 18. So highway safety was a big deal, and it's rewarding because you can literally say, you can literally push a button, a green button, and say, I'm going to vote for a bill, and you know you're going to save like hundreds of lives. But you could never get that motorcycle helmet bill. And th- that's a great point because I, I that had been declared unconstitutional in Illinois. They had passed it, believe it or not, in I think um, maybe 61 or something like that. Ogilvy was the governor and it had been declared unconstitutional, when my seatbelt law was challenged in court, found to be constitutional, and I said, oh, now I can pass the helmet law, only to find out that, no, there's 250,000 people who <laughs> do not want that bill passed. And after a few years of trying, I finally said, you know what, guys? Um, 
you're on your own. Um, let those who ride decide if you want to if you want to take chances. It's wildly more dangerous to not wear a helmet. Problem being, though, that we're the ones that pay for it. And the Illinois Rehabilitation Institute is filled with folks who didn't wear helmets. And it's it's the taxpayers' money. Exactly, and and that, by the way, is also my obsession with smoking. I've never smoked. wanted to yeah, wanted I, to go there. Well, it's and, thing, and, it's it, I want you to explain the story about this year's budget and the yeah, governor's well, the governor's first budget proposed. The governor a, was trying to find money for a capital bill, and he proposed a twenty five percent twenty five cent twenty five cent tax increase on cigarettes. And um, I worked closely with the advocates of cancer, heart, lung associations, and they said they would be neutral on that. And I said, well, that's kind of crazy. Why? It's a tax on cigarettes. They said, unless it's a dollar, it doesn't change behavior. Because if you, if you gradually raise it, people just kind of get used to that. If you hit them with a dollar, uh, and they have statistics, which are national statistics, because there's so many different places where you have these taxes that are accurate. Like 28,000 kids will not, you know, will quit. One won't start, and 32,000 adults will, will quit if you do the dollar. So I just insisted on it. And at the end of the day, negotiating the last day with Jim Durkin, actually, in a bipartisan effort, I got a 15% tax on e-cigarettes. First in, time in addition ever, to in the addition dollar. In addition to the dollar. So not only is it money that helps initially pay for the capital bill, as people stop using those products, hopefully, uh, you save enormous more in Medicaid costs because – a disproportionate amount of Medicaid folks who we pay billions to are, are smokers, unfortunately. So it has it has a real positive effect, and that's something which, again, it's health and money saved at the same time. I want to ask you about uh, the pension debt. Yeah. And the, there's there's blame on all sides. On and a lot of uh, hyperbole and a lot of misunderstanding because it is complicated. And um, you did make the effort— uh, un- under the Quinn administration to try to make a change well, in let's, pensions. Let me just give you a, the first thing that people should know, okay. and this is really important, is that we, and we don't get any credit for this, we passed a major pension reform back in, you know, now it's been like eight years, nine years ago, where all new employees going forward have a real uh, Spartan pension. Spartan, if almost a, not unconstitutional. Not, not unconstitutional, but it's it's a very, it's a, it's a pension that's not anywhere as generous as what we had before. And that saved billions of dollars over time. And that's, we, so we stopped the bleeding when we passed that. And it's over half the school teachers, over half the state employees, over half the university employees who now are on that on tier, tier, two. tier two pension. The tier one pension, we uh, 25 years ago, 26 years ago said, we're going to have to catch up on our payments that we had underfunded that we had done before. And for the most part, we have stayed with that with that schedule. And if we keep on doing it for 25 or 24 more years, we'll be 90% funded. So it's, it's not that the pension system is bankrupt or going bankrupt. It's actually the opposite. It's just that it's a lot of money. The problem is it's just a, a big portion of our budget that we have to spend on pensions. 25%. What I did was find a way with a brilliant attorney that helped me out, Eric Medair. He told me that um, um, if you if you do it a certain way, called a consideration model, uh, it, it'll be constitutional. You can limit people's – they can, in effect, voluntarily limit their future pensions in exchange for something now. And we passed that in the Senate twice. Mm-hmm. We passed it when um, a competing 
uh, unconstitutional version was advanced in the House. We said this is constitutional, doesn't save as much money. And we got beat up. We got beat up by the, I remember the Tribune editorial board said, oh, that doesn't save enough money, so your bill's wrong. Well, guess what? That bill, which we eventually passed, was found unconstitutional, unanimous by the Supreme Court, and our uh, pension bill didn't pass. Uh, and if it and it's still out there, and if anybody wants to vote on it and pass it, it'll save a bunch of money. Well, I, I mean, I, obviously pensions are always a, a major topic here because, uh, because of, of the our Constitution says right. once you get it, you just, you can't uh, you can't. But I'm still it. constantly, uh, and again, I'm not a lawyer, not a constitutional lawyer, uh, but those who say, well, just change that. Uh, Pension protection clause, and then we fix everything. There's a real simple answer to that. It's called the federal constitution, and they have a thing called the contracts clause. So that once you get your benefit in Illinois, uh, you are protected. Even if we change the the pension in the provision in the constitution, you'd still have the federal constitution's contract clause to say, "No, I still get to keep my pension." And we've already taken care of the new new hires by passing tier two. So that constitutional amendment in Illinois wouldn't wouldn't do anything, in my opinion. Well, and, and as well as, isn't it like post facto, too, that you start? Well, it would help you in the future if you wanted to, if you want to reduce future people's pensions. But it doesn't help this problem of paying off these tier one pensions as people as people uh, are are retiring that's that's who we're paying out and it, it came from a real bipartisan mistake of giving too generous a provision probably one would argue during uh, a time of high inflation it was high inflation we have a three percent compounded cola it didn't even seem like that much when inflation was seven or eight percent and i think Jim thompson been, was going he might have been the last that was his last year i think when we signed that so it's a bipartisan problem to get into, but it's not in any way something that can't be can't be solved, in my opinion. We're speaking with Illinois Senate President John Cullerton. I'm Rick Pearson. This is the Sunday Spin. Now back to the Tribune's Rick Pearson. It's the Sunday Spin on 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Sunday Spin. I'm Rick Pearson here in the WGN Skyline studio with retiring Illinois Senate President John Cullerton, kind of uh, going a little bit what's ahead for Illinois, as well as a little bit memory lane. Mm-hmm. Most uh, colorful character that well, you dealt with. Oh, God, there's so many colorful characters. but I, I have There aren't to, as many these days. Well, that's true. But I, I, I have to say that, you know, it's, what was pretty cool was spending eight years with Barack Obama. I mean, the guy, I, I tell this to any legislator, I mean, from other states, too. I say, can you imagine sitting next to a guy and he gets to be the president of the United States? I mean, it was, it was really neat. And, you know, when Barack was there, he was real bright. Um, but you just didn't figure he was going to be the president. You might, might no one hire did. office, something like that. And I work with him on a lot of bills. Worked with him on death penalty reform bills. I mentioned the the uh, graduated uh, uh, the um, uh, bills dealing with seatbelts and right. stuff like that. So it, that was a lot of fun. But yeah, a well, lot see, of well, seeing him debate Peter Roskam. <laughs> Peter Roskam, that's right. He was the floor leader for the Republicans. And, 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 yeah, all, all different. All different. Um, I'm going to have to ask about the current state of the Democratic Party, particularly Democrats in Springfield. Um, we've got uh, issues involving House Speaker Madigan, mm-hmm. uh, people surrounding him. Um, in your caucus, there's been uh, investigations of a couple of former members um, and a current member. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is, is it just because this kind of stuff is systemic? 
You know, it's really uh, sad. Um, I was totaling up the number of folks that I've served with in 41 years in both the House and the Senate. It's 987 people that I've served with. And, I mean, overwhelming majority of those people, super majority of those people uh, get elected. They're Republicans and Democrats to do the right thing. And so it's really embarrassing when uh, just so few but any people get in trouble. Um, there's been folks over time that have gotten in trouble in their own private life, just like there is in people who work at radio stations. You know, they get in trouble. But for people who actually do something wrong as it relates to the legislature, that's really embarrassing because as an institution, I, I love the legislature. So uh, now I also, you know, I was a public defender for four years and five years at the 26th in California. I do believe in the presumption of innocence that people, if people are going to plead guilty, they're admitting they're guilty. And that's, that's, that's pretty straightforward. If somebody says they didn't commit the crime, I'd like to you know, hear them out and see what happens to the justice system. But just being charged is, is really a um, – and, and, and as we said, when, when we're not getting any local coverage from what we actually do or even the positive things, there's no reporters down there. When something like this happens, everybody thinks – everybody flocks there. They cover the, the, the scandals because it's more interesting. Um, and yet, at the same time, it kind of gives us a stain, which, you know, it's unfortunate. I do want to ask you about the uh, email uh, from Mike McLean, uh, who is a close confidant, a uh, longtime uh, lobbyist in Springfield, close confidant of uh, Speaker Madigan, certainly his closest confidant. And this allegation of involving a, a rape uh, in Champaign and uh, ghost payrollers for another person and uh, i'm not going to get into what it might mean or what it doesn't mean except for the fact of i guess the question of uh, the brazenness yeah well look at there's there's an email that talks about two things which are crimes and they should be investigated and the guy who wrote them seems like he's aware of them so a criminal not a legislative investigation a criminal investigation ought to focus on what um, Mike McLean knows about those crimes. And that's that's what ought to happen uh, right away. Um, I don't know that you attribute it. To, and I know that there's people, it's true that he's friends with Madigan. But I don't think that that email has anything to do uh, with Madigan. It's a, it's a local guy down in Quincy where Mike McLean's from. He's concerned about the guy. Well, he's uh, not just a local uh, farmer. I mean, he's very powerful. He is, but he, my point is that could be something that he... In his own world, he's a former legislator. Yes, he he, uh, he he would have known the people he's sending the email to. That's something he could have been doing on his own without the speaker having any knowledge of it. Is all I'm saying. Uh, that's my first first reaction. But people want to link. Uh, to well, I think, and part of that linkage is the fact that at times people, uh, and, and you could make this statement about the speaker himself about a, an arrogance or a smugness. Of, well, I've of negotiated. I know Mac Bennigan very well, and he's a very, I mean, very yes, bright you, guy. Obviously, bright guy. And we, we, you know, by people should understand that the you can't pass a law unless it's I, the identical language passes both chambers. So institutionally, you have to work with the other person. And that's what I've been doing in the last eleven years. Now, sometimes he's very difficult to deal with. Some he's a very good negotiator, and some we, we don't agree with on everything. But we have to at the end compromise, and I've done that. But after we do that, we, I don't have a press conference and announce it. We just we work it out. And uh, he's a very hardworking person. And don't forget, Bruce Rauner spent tens of millions of dollars calling him a crook with no evidence. 
because he didn't like him politically. So, you know, he's, he's been demonized, um, I think, unfairly. Uh, he's, again, he's, he's uh, very difficult sometimes to deal with. I'm, he, he knows that. But we always seem to work things out. Uh, I just don't see any, um, you know, connection here between this latest email incident in Madigan that, that is, is obvious. That's all. So uh, what's next for you? Well, I've been a lawyer uh, at the law firm of Thompson Coburn, which is a, a big law firm in, in St. Louis. Actually, it's the largest law firm in St. Louis. We have a Chicago office. Uh, but my job as Senate president and running the campaigns every two years with all the fundraisers. I go to 70 fundraisers a year and that sort of thing. Um, it doesn't leave much time for practicing law. So now I'm going to be able to focus on that. And we do have the proverbial fantastic grandchildren who live uh, three of them that live within um, uh, a mile of our house, and they're over all the time. And that's why my wife probably said, term limits for... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was in, recently in St. Louis, by the way, and I and with the Missouri legislators, where they have term limits. I, I, think, you have to, I think it's two months, and you have to be out. <laughs> two months. Yeah, and I said, I said that I was retiring uh, because, I don't know, we have a tough 41-year term limit rule. <laughs> I also told him that I'm from Chicago. This is, now, these are Missouri legislators in the city of St. Louis. Um, and I told him I'm from Chicago, from the north side, and I represent uh, a place called Wrigley Field. So they uh, they stood that, up and started booing. Yeah, I, w- I would expect yeah. that. that, that Cardinal had, fans. They had to go over. Yeah. But, I mean, you made a point in talking to me for the story about um, – about traveling around the state and how important oh, that is yeah, yeah. for your successor as Senate president, yeah. but also how it ought to be uh, de rigueur for any member oh, of my the God. General Assembly. It, it, we had so much fun traveling, uh, and, and Pam would come with me a, a lot of times. We had a guy named Gary Forby, who was a Democratic <laughs> senator, who I actually knew I'd stayed maybe too long because I actually understood what he was saying. Yeah, for folks who don't know Gary Forby, I'll be playing a tape of him <laughs> next week so you'll understand. <laughs> okay. That's great. But down in Carbondale, um, the Ducoin State Fair, I mean, it's it's fantastic. And I would I would go to all, go over to Rock Island and campaign for members there. We have a Democratic Democrats on the Wisconsin border, um, and you know, traveling around the state, Quincy itself is a fantastic town. So um, now the driving back and forth from Springfield uh, for uh, now it's up to four hours, by the way, because of the traffic. So round trip, really, uh, it's eight hours. So that's what it's like for one day. Mile marker, bingo, on <laughs> I fifty five. That's right. Uh, fifty seven is faster now. That's how. That's how you know people. Say that, that's that's. Uh, I, but I mean, I've always said the great thing about this state is is the diversity, and when you have these goofballs talking about the separatist movement. Oh and, my God! And, if they but, separated but, the Southern Illinois from Northern Illinois, the, 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 their economy, the Southern actually, I'd force them to call it Northern Kentucky. So we call the new state Northern Kentucky, not southern illinois and they wouldn't have any money because uh you know we provide so much more so it's unfortunate but, but, but it, it, i mean playing off against chicago has always been a traditional <clears throat> absolute campaign thing absolutely. and you understand it and you allow your members to you know rail at you if right. possible we if would it, give it, money to candidates down in southern illinois to say how bad chicago is democratic candidates so they can get elected right yeah but then but but what 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 has sent this into this Weird. Well, I mean, it's just uh, we, obviously we haven't. Uh, we're not as bad as things have happened at the na- the national level. I mean, it's social media. It's there's a whole bunch of different theories, obviously, as to why things are so polarized. But the states, the states have still have to get stuff done. 
Um, every each there's only one state in the nation that has a divided chamber between the House and the Senate. That's Minnesota. So every state in the nation, the House and the Senate is either dem- both Democrat or Democrat. And the governors can be from different parties, and they have to get stuff done, and they work together. The federal government, eh, for another show. That's what I'm afraid of. Yeah. We're speaking with John Cullerton. I'm Rick Pearson. This is the Sunday Spin. Welcome back to the Sunday Spin and a few closing seconds. Uh, Senate President John Cullerton, I want to thank you so much for uh, giving us the time uh, this evening to reflect on your uh, 40 years of service. And uh, I hope your phone will still be uh, open in case I need a call for uh, your thoughts on it. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, well, that's a wrap on our first Sunday spin of 2020 at our new time, which will be 5 to 7 p.m., except when preempted by my beloved Blackhawks. And so there'll be a few shortened shows ahead, but uh, as we come up through February and into March, uh, we're going to be on a lot as we get closer to the March 17th St. Patrick's Day primary in Illinois. We'll have a lot of candidates on. We'll have a lot of people with all the information you need to decide how to cast your primary ballot. So stay tuned in the future for the Sunday Spin. Karen Conti is up next after the news with Legally Speaking. I'm Rick Pearson. Good evening. <laughs>